Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to Lost in Science. It is our first episode for 2017, and boy, are we excited. Are we excited? Woo! Yes. Woo! 2017! Yeah, well, yeah, indeed. Um, and I hope you've all had a good summer break. Have you all had a good... I slept a lot. You slept a lot? I went nowhere, did, did minimal, and slept a lot. Claire? I've had a great time listening to all the Labora stories on Ooh. our summer series. Yeah, you did. Thank you very much, yeah. Labora story. Yeah. And well, I had a great time editing all those Labora stories over the summer, but and- I hope people enjoyed them. An excellent job you did there too, Stu. Thank you very much. Yes. Well, I had a I had a good um a good summer break as well. And look, um, like many people, of course, it is still summer, and people are still going to be going on holidays. So it's important to think about uh, if you're travelling around Australia, what venomous animals you should watch out for. So all of them. Yeah. Well, okay. That's yeah, that's yeah. Fair enough. That's my yeah. story done basically. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Good. Okay. Moving on. Now I'll be looking at recent research to find out which are the most dangerous uh, or the 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 Venomous animals that have hurt the most people in Australia. And it's not who you think necessarily, unless you've heard the story already because it's got a bit of airplay. But anyway, we're going to be doing that as well. Stu, what do you got for us? Well, uh, I'm sure everyone's figured out that we now live in a world of alternative facts. And I'm going to be looking at alternative facts. Well, not directly, but I'm going to actually be talking about conspiracy theories, which is, I guess, a way of thinking about facts in an alternative fashion uh, and explaining... (laughs) that, in fact, there's probably not really any surefire way to keep a conspiracy secret because they all involve human beings. So uh, we're mm-hmm. actually going to be looking at a paper that was published last year about conspiracy theories and how they rapidly fall apart. What about that conspiracy theory with the lizard men that live under the mountain? Oh, look, it's all in there. It's oh, all in there. great. I can't wait. Yeah, there's this, um, this finding about what takes for a conspiracy to fall apart. Does that apply to lizard men? <laughs> How good are they? Different at keeping a conspiracy. <laughs> they, it may be more difficult to read their faces, so you can't tell if they're lying. There we go. Yeah. Watch out for the lizard man. And speaking of alternative facts and conspiracies, Manisha is <laughs> <laughs> this whole New Year's resolution thing. Is that a conspiracy or what? Oh, look, I don't know. For me, it seems to be a bit of a conspiracy. I can never manage to actually stick with the New Year's resolution. So um, I thought I would actually talk to our listeners that might be in the same boat and just discuss some tips and strategies to actually keeping a New Year's resolution. So how to best um, make and break habits. Excellent. Well, that is a habit that I'm sure you all pick up that is listening to Manisha talk about habits. Um, I don't know. Make that sense. Play that back again a few times. It will make sense. Um, this is Lost <laughs> Science of 2017 as professional as always. On with the show. Yes, we are in Australia, and Australia is famous for its deadly creatures. But which do you suppose is the deadliest? Spider, snake, koala bear. That's a good question. (laughs) Sorry, drop snakes. (laughs) Of the venomous animals? Well, we're concentrating on the venomous animals here. Okay, not like, you know, your crocs and your sharks and stuff. I'll I'll mention those, but yeah, we're mostly talking about the the venomous animals. Oh, I thought it was the taipan. 
The Taipan. Interesting. Taipan? The um, Yeah, the Inland Taipan. Claire, that is actually a good guess because I believe that is supposedly the the most venomous snake in the world, mm. like has the, the deadliest Ooh. venom. Um, Australia has something guess. like eight of the top ten most venomous snakes or something. It is does, something like that, yeah. something yeah. ridiculous. And someone, someone just died from, via Taipan. Did they? Coastal Recently. Taipan bite. Okay. In Queensland. I was not aware of that. An elderly gentleman. But of course, yeah, you're right. We have we have deadly snakes. We also have some spiders? famously um, poisonous spiders. We also have like you know trees and things like the oh, gimpy gimpy true. tree, which um people keep talking about. Apparently, some stinging tree. But um and also blue bottles and jellyfish. Oh, we do, yeah, all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. So look, it makes no sense. I mean, this is one of the things that the tourists are always complaining about. And they're they're scared when they come to Australia because of that. well, they're, they're dying. They complain about that. Um, but uh, we need to find out. We are about the facts here, the actual facts here at uh, Lost in Science. Uh, so we're going to turn to some recent research. This is done by the Australian Venom Research Unit at the University of Melbourne. Uh, so they gathered hospital and mortality data from 2000 to 2013. So this is kind of recent history, but not that recent. Well, I mean, as recent as they could do at the time. And they recently published their results in the uh, Internal Medicine Journal of the Royal Australian College of Physicians. And I guess we should maybe do... I don't know if we should do a drum roll or that, but... Ding, 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 ding. The, the, <laughs> the most deaths and the most hospitalizations were caused by... Bees and wasps. Ooh. Oh, I was not oh. expecting that. That's a no, good one, actually. No, no, is that oh. is that due to the actual sting, or is that an allergic reaction? Yeah, is that the toxicity? Yeah, it's uh, no, it is it is uh, an allergic reaction, and that's quite correct. Reaction. So, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll um instead of just giving you the one thing, I'll give you some of the the stats here. So there. Overall, there were about forty two thousand hospitalizations over the period that they studied, and sixty four people killed. Um, by some sort of sting or bite in this study period. Over a third, that is 12,351 hospitalizations were due to bees or wasp, bee or wasp stings, and there were 27 deaths due to them. There 25 bee deaths and two wasp deaths due to anaphylactic shock. There were also some anaphylactic uh, deaths by ticks and ants, and I think some other unspecified critters, but they also cause an allergic reaction. So, is that a bit unfair? Putting all that data together when it's an when it's a anaphylactic mm. reaction, like something completely out of the ordinary that wouldn't happen. Like- well, yeah, no, what's it, it still is a toxin being injected that people are reacting to, I guess. Um, they're recording what people have been stung by, or bitten by, and trying to work out, mm. you know, what is what has actually caused it. So Maybe you know, put peanuts d- in there as well. Well, they don't bite you, I guess. Peanuts don't generally jump yep. up and bite you. <laughs> yeah, not often. So look, that that is that is a big thing, and it's kind of surprising. Um, but the other suspects did um, feature in there. So, like I said, there the bees and wasps were about twelve thousand and fifty one hospitalizations. Coming in just behind the worst spiders, though, with eleven thousand nine hundred ninety four hospitalized people hospitalized due to a spider bite, which is actually a lot but there were zero deaths from uh, spiders in the study period apparently someone did die from a redback spider bite in 2016 which was the first spider bite death in over 30 years but that was outside their study period um, but yeah there was zero deaths from spiders in the study period uh, snakes on the other hand they caused as many deaths as the bees and wasps, but fewer hospitalizations. So the 27 people died of snake bite in that period, but only about 6,000 hospitalizations which made snakes kind of proportionally the deadliest, as in the most likely to die from the snake um, compared to anything else. Or is that that they're less likely to receive hospital 
care and time. Well, it could be that as well. But a lot of, surprisingly though, a lot of the um, the bites were recorded in the home or in urban or rural or regional areas, not in remote locations as you'd probably expect. Although it is possible that the researchers have conceded that maybe they, you know, some deaths weren't reported or some, you know, bites weren't reported in the thing. There were three deaths due to marine animals. So then they were all box jellyfish. So yeah, the box jellyfish did get a look in. But yeah, look, really the the big surprise is the anaphylactic deaths. So I guess, you know, they're trying to say why, they're trying to figure out why this is the case. You know, why are so many people uh, not prepared, oh, okay. say, for a um, for such a, a thing? Um, and it could be that, you know, you get, the first time you get bitten, or you get stung, then it causes the, the reaction that gives you the immune, the allergic reaction. The next time it comes around to get you worse and you may not have an EpiPen available because you didn't know you were allergic and that sort of thing. So, yeah, like that is an interesting thing. Um, I should actually mention, I guess, some other animals. Like you did bring up the crocodiles and sharks and those sort of things. Oh, yeah. Um, Everyone loves talking about I them. Won't, I wasn't counting them because they're not technically venomous or um, no. or anything like that. However, um, in the study period, I think they had 26 people died from shark attack. So they were fewer people than bees. Well, no, fewer people than bees and wasps, fewer people than snakes. Uh, 19 from crocodiles. So crocodiles are up there. But you know what the most was, the, the, the deadliest animal in Australia? People. The Cow. Puffin people. Mosquito? No, no, the, the horse. Yeah. There oh. you go. 74 people died um, from being thrown or trampled 74. by a horse. Yeah. Holy. I've never trusted horses. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Dogs are much less dangerous. Only 23 people from altercations with dogs. I guess what we're saying is, like, if you are allergic, obviously, carry around your EpiPen. I shouldn't need to tell you that. Um, but just be careful, I guess, of those those bee and, and wasp stings um, mm. above everything else. Watch out for snakes as well, because snakes are pretty dangerous. But generally, just be careful. Um, they said that men aged 30 to 35 were the most likely to be bitten or stung, perhaps because they are the most risk-taking. But um, yeah, play it safe this summer and uh, watch out for the for the deadlies that are out there. So apparently this year we live in a post-truth world, so I've heard. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's being bandied around a lot. They, Do you they think have, that's just normalising it? I think it a makes our job a lot easier. I just want to say that. Well, yeah, we don't have to check anything. What does that even mean, a post-truth world? Well, it means truth doesn't matter anymore. Um, but, but, you know, earlier what? this year we've heard that... Uh, it's a Trump thing is what he's saying. Um, you know, alternative facts are as valid as what what could be called verifiable facts or as we like to call them here at Lost in Science, facts. Hmm. There are facts and there are things that are not facts which are not facts and there's no such thing as alternative facts. But look, the philosophical nature of truth has been discussed by philosophers since ancient times and scientific inquiry is based on the idea of objective truth being a thing that you can verify in various ways. But of course... If a group of people deliberately set out to mislead their peers or the general public by providing false evidence to support a known or unknown agenda, the truth can be distorted. And this is what we could call a conspiracy. <laughs> but the truth is still out there. Is that what you're saying? The truth Steve? is out there. Oh, yes. That, that's, that's correct. So historically, obviously, there have been conspiracies and they've been successful for a limited time, the ones we know about. Such as? Uh, well, okay, so well-known, relatively recent case of Edward Snowden blowing the whistle on illegal spying activities yep. by the NSA. Mm. Um, that was successful for a period of time until somebody said, hey, you guys are doing the wrong thing and you should stop it. 
or you know, an earlier example also from the states, the Watergate scandal. Yep, um, yeah. was a conspiracy <laughs> to basically steal information and pervert the course of an election effectively. So there's a couple of examples of conspiracies that were secret and then somebody blew it by letting everybody know what was going on. In one case, that was a whistleblower. In the other, in the Watergate scandal, that was actually uh, investigators, although they did have an inside source on the information as well. So these examples do show that conspiracies can occur on a more or less large scale, but the secrecy that they depend on is pretty shaky when anyone involved actually starts to question the ethics of what's going on. Um, So I actually found a paper, and I've been meaning to talk about it for a while, but it was published last year in in 2016, in January, uh, in the journal PLOS One, which is online, so you can look it up if you want to have a look for it. Um, And it addressed the viability of conspiracy theories by basically applying a mathematical formula to assess the likelihood of their long-term success. So David Robert Grimes, who's a physicist at Oxford University, uh, constructed a model to test the viability of claimed conspiracies. Uh, And he based his uh, model on conspiracies that had been found out in the past and how long they lasted and how many people were involved. So he included estimates for how well people kept secrets. So, you know, whether they were very good at keeping secrets or not very good at keeping secrets. He put a figure on that. And he he actually erred on the side of that they were really, really good at keeping secrets. So they were above average at keeping secrets, everyone involved. So hang on, this is a a physicist, you're saying. So he's basically just doing a mathematical model. He's not looking at the psychology, he's not reading minds. No, no, no. He's just just going by some figures that he's he's plugged into a theory, well, to to a model, I should say. So he also looked at the number of conspirators involved and he looked at conservative numbers um, just to try and not overestimate the accuracy of his model. So he looked at the conspiracies in his study, uh, including that the moon landing was a hoax. That was one of the conspiracies that he looked at. Uh, That anthropogenic climate change is a hoax. The third one that he looked at was that vaccination causes more injury than it saves and has other purposes than preventing disease. That's conspiracy so, theory. Uh, well, 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 these are these are theories that he's applying his model to, or these yes. are ones that have been shown. No, no, no. This, this is ones that he's applying his model to. Okay, right, yeah, right. Because yeah. I got to say, because I, you know, I didn't think that these these are not real conspiracies. No, 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 no. These, no. Are, these are these are conspiracy okay, theories cool. that he's that he's plugged the numbers into right, his model. Okay. As in how many people would have to be involved in this to, for it to be a successful okay, yep, yep. conspiracy. So if this was an actual conspiracy, yep. if scientists were making up evidence about climate change or vaccines or moon landings, then what would be the likelihood of it being exposed? How long would it last? Yeah, how long would it last? How, could you, how yep. long could you keep it secret for? Um, yeah, and the fourth one that he, uh, that he applied his model to was that a cure for cancer is being suppressed by various groups who profit from cancer. Mm-hmm. So all of these... Supposed conspiracies require hundreds or thousands of people to keep the supposed truth a secret. And according to Grimes' tests, according to his model, they would all fail within a relatively short period. So the moon landing hoax, according to his model, would have failed in less than five years. So by 1974, there would have been definitive evidence that that there was a hoax that they landed on the moon. Obviously, we know they landed on the moon. Mm-hmm. Um, they were still sending people to the fake moon by, by 1974. Yeah, exactly. Um, just ask 
Buzz Aldrin. But uh, yeah, last time someone challenged Buzz with the fact that he thought he didn't land on the moon, he knocked him, up, knocked him on the ground. Yeah. Um, sorry. <laughs> he, sorry. Did you say popped him one? <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, I'm um, an 80s so kid. <laughs> due, yeah, due to the scale of the preparations for a hoax of pretending to land someone on the moon, it would have been obvious within less than five years, okay. ab- around three and a half years. Um, now, his model took into account various factors in other uh, conspiracy theories. So, a conspiracy involving vaccines might take up to forty years to be revealed. Okay. But when all medical research bodies are included in the in the modelling, only three and a half years okay. or thereabouts. So basically, if only the um, individual researchers were involved, it might take longer for that uh, as as a hoax to be. So revealed. The, the smaller the number of people, the better you can keep the secret. Basically, that's that's effectively what he found. Um, so a climate change hoax, if it was only individual researchers, would take up to 30 years. But again, if it was all the relevant scientific research bodies, it would be less than five years. And a cancer cure suppression uh, conspiracy would take also less than five years. Basically, the, 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 the one where that falls apart is everyone gets cancer. And why would you suppress a cure if someone you knew had, mm. um, had And there cancer? are a lot of scientists working on cancer. Of of all different kinds yeah, of cancer yeah, too. Yeah. The idea that there's a single cure for cancer is yeah. misunderstanding what cancer is in the first place. Um, what were the variables that went into making this model? Well, mo- mostly how many people were involved and how good they are, how good people are at keeping secrets, which, let me tell you, is not very good. People are terrible at keeping secrets because they're egotistical and we're social and, and like to, yeah exactly we like mm. to we like to show off what we know to most uh, to a lot to, mm. to a great extent so Grimes went further in his in his model and proposed maximum limits on the number of people involved for a conspiracy to last various amounts of time he said if it, if if it's going to last 5 years you could get away with 2500 people a little bit more than 2500 people but to last 20 years, you couldn't have any more than 628 people involved okay. in the conspiracy. And they would all have to be really, really good at keeping secrets um, for it to last. Um, so, look, I guess the conspiracy theories aren't going to go away anytime soon. There's so many of them and they seem to multiply at an exponential rate. But I think it comes back to the idea that if you're going to claim a conspiracy, uh, you have to have good evidence that there's a conspiracy and not just present a whole bunch of facts that you don't understand as evidence of something that people are getting together and conspiring to to make things happen. Or so you claim. Australia on the Community Radio Network, you're listening to Lost in Science. So, um, you know what they say, the best laid plans of mice and men, they often go awry. And that's how I feel about resolutions. I have the best intentions of keeping these resolutions. I'm pumped, I get excited about them, and I'm ready to actually, like, knock something over. I'm ready to make a change, but then I just don't do it. Something happens and I get distracted or I lose motivation or whatever other excuse I can make up at the time, and I'm just back at ground zero. Um, I've made absolutely no progress. So I started reading up on this because as you do when you're procrastinating from all the other things you're meant to be doing, you find ways to uh, fill up your time. 
Um, so I started reading up on how to best make or break um, habits. So I actually compiled a list of five points for our listeners. Um, and this week, I'm going to look at tip number one, which is setting smaller goals. So you're resolving to do something and you're failing to do it. So you're trying to get around that by making it a habit. Is that what you're saying? Or changing a habit? Maybe maybe not for all resolutions, but I assume that a lot of resolutions that people make have to do with some sort of a behavior change. Okay. And to make a behavior change, it starts from a or, – or a habit could be a, – a habit is a behavior. So okay. if you're making or breaking habits, you're effectively changing behavior. So that could either work for or against your New Year's resolution okay. depending on what the resolution would be. Right. Okay. I have a few examples throughout the story, so hopefully that will resonate with some of our listeners. Um, anyways, the first tip I have for this week is um, to set smaller goals. The tip isn't intended to make you think smaller. You're still supposed to dream big, but the idea is that with your big picture, um, break up the workload into smaller, more manageable tasks and goals. So if your goal is to save for a house, don't imagine the whole I don't know, 300 grand or 400 grand that you need. Oh, right. God. I don't, even, <laughs> I don't even know how much houses go for. That's how out of, the, like, out of my frame of reference. Depends where you want to live. <laughs> Anywhere good more than that. Yeah, okay, so maybe <laughs> 600,000. Yeah, but you need a deposit, you know. So, you know, the, like, the deposit is only, what, what 10%? Uh, 20. 20%? Yeah. So yeah. we're going with, what, 30 grand, 20 grand that you need to... Oh, God. Put a down payment on the house. Let's say right. more like two hundred. Uh, I don't mean to stress yeah, yeah, out yeah. our yeah. listeners if this isn't something you want to think about. Claire, Joan. Claire, Claire, just I'm just out. Claire's starting to sweat here, so she's just quick. Manisha, tell me how to do it. <laughs> okay, so don't think about the whole amount of money all, right, all at okay. once. Okay. S- instead, set smaller goals. So um, the five bucks. <laughs> don't think about like like don't look down that tunnel sort of thing. It's just like you set yourself a smaller goal. You want to say save $500 a month or say from every paycheck you want to put away 5% or something like that. Something that's achievable, something you know that you can manage. You think about it in units of smashed avocado on toast and that would really help. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. So by making small, more manageable goals, um, you're, we're creating intrinsic motivators. So by putting money away in smaller chunks, you're sticking with the manageable behavior over a longer period of time. And each time you complete your smaller goal, you get a little shot of dopamine and a, a bit of a good feeling, and that helps build intrinsic motivation to continue the behavior. Also, you have to actually, you actually have to do the thing and like consciously do it. Like, yeah. Okay. So, so instead of thinking I need three hundred grand, what you're gonna say is I'm gonna put away five hundred dollars every month or yeah. something, and then every time you do that, you feel a bit of a, an accomplishment. You feel good okay. inside, and that motivates you. That that it's building that positive reinforcement. It's building an intrinsic motivator to do it next time. So then next month or next paycheck, you're also gonna do it, and then again, you're gonna get that shot of dopamine. You're gonna feel good, and then that's gonna that's going to keep reinforcing that behavior yep. until at the end of the day, you do have your 300 grand and you can get your house or yes. And maybe it's a bad example because 50 years later, <laughs> eventually, eventually, eventually. But so, eventually. so your conscious, your conscious behavior is making subconscious reinforcement of your behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you feel good naturally. Yeah, exactly. So you're trying to, you're trying to mooch off of these natural feelings. We already feel love that idea. Um, so, um, these types of rewards, um, along the way can help us stay on task while we work towards tackling our bigger challenges and achieving our big dreams. The theory underlying this 
tip is the self-determination theory. The theory first became popular in psychological studies back in the 1970s, but it really took off in the 80s. And it looks at the motivation behind the choices we make. In studies that use um, self-determination theory, they are largely evaluating and comparing the strength of intrinsic motivators to extrinsic motivators. So is it something we feel good about it because, or the behavior makes us feel good just because, so just performing the act makes us feel good, or do we get an extrinsic motivator? So an extrinsic motivator could be like a paycheck or um, could be some sort of a reward. So hang on, is intrinsic a thing you do and an extrinsic is something someone else gives you? Or? Yeah, so so intrinsic you can think of as um, some, like, in this case, it's just something that makes you feel good. So if you were to if you were to do something and you ended up with a positive feeling, or you felt satisfied, you felt accomplished, you felt achi- uh, you felt a high level of achievement. Um, that those sort of motivators, the 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 motivation to achieve that feeling again is actually quite stronger than the motivation of something external, like receiving a bonus, a, like okay. a Christmas bonus or a reward or anything like that. Okay. So the idea is um, that the intrinsic motivators are much much more stronger at dictating our behavior, and those behaviors that have strong intrinsic motivators are behaviors that we're more likely to adopt and to keep. So by setting smaller goals, you're actually training yourself um, to make a new habit permanent by increasing the levels and the frequency of those intrinsic satisfactions when you meet your goal. And it's uh, that sort of positive reinforcement that helps us modify and create new behaviors. So it's not about looking forward and seeing how much you have left to do, but rather um, really appreciating each small step along the way and really um, taking in the benefits um, as you keep the motivation to continue. So yeah, so that's this week's tip. I'm actually going to give a tip every week for the next few weeks. Um, So hopefully we can all keep on to our New Year's resolutions. Or don't start your New Year's resolutions in front of the five weeks but until you've heard all the tips. How about if you have all of your like resolutions and they're all starting to crumble like mine and now you need tips to get re-motivated okay, okay. Into, into being good again. Stay tuned for that. Yeah. <laughs> all right, that is it for another episode of Lost in Science. We have learned a bit about um, venomous animals or poisonous animals. There has been some debate in the studio over the meaning of poisonous and venomous. venomous. And let's just agree to disagree on that one. <laughs> but I think we actually agreed that um, I was right on that. No, I didn't. <laughs> I, think, I think you did. I think you did, Claire. Um, welcome back, Claire. <laughs> um, so there is that. Uh, there was also the whole conspiracy. Is the whole definition of words a conspiracy? But if it was, how many people would have to be involved in all the dictionaries and all the science laboratories? <laughs> oh, look, it would oh, fail God. in about 10 minutes. It would fail yeah. in about 10 minutes, as might our New Year's resolution. I hope but, not. But we've got, we're getting some good techniques from Manisha. through, yeah. uh, If you want to form a <laughs> habit for your New Year's resolution. I wouldn't advise all of them being approached that way. Like, for instance, if your um, New Year's resolution is to quit your job, Maybe don't make a habit of that. Um, <laughs> or approach it in small steps. Just your fail all your tasks exactly. until you get fired. Yeah, yeah. Different, <laughs> different approaches to different situations, people, is what we're yeah, saying Yeah, be a bit here. critical yeah. when, you're, when you're thinking about these tips. That's right. Uh, now, Lost in Science, it is recorded at the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. It airs across Australia on the Community Radio Network, the support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Uh, we'd like for you to get in touch with us. Good resolution for the new year. 
contact us. You can email us at lostinsight at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. We are Lost in Science on 3CR. You can find us on Twitter or you can listen to us on our podcast, which is on all the podcast apps and on the 3CR website. Um, or you can listen to us on the radio live next week when once again, Manisha, Claire, Stu and Chris will get Lost in Science. Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.